0: Welcome to Radio read a a podcast for the whole family, featuring dramatic, word-for-word readings of classic stories for all ages. In today's episode, Megan Andrews reads chapters 11 and 12 of Peter Payne by J.M. Barry. You may follow along in your own copy of the story, or sit back, relax, and let your mind's eye do the work. Chapter 11 Wendy's story, listen then said Wendy, settling down to her story with Michael at her feet and seven boys in the bed. There was once a gentleman, I'd rather he'd been a lady, Curly said, I wish he'd been a rat, said Nibs, quiet, their mother admonished them. There was a lady also, and-oh, Mummy, cried the first twin. "'You mean that there's a lady also, don't you? "'She's not dead, is she?' "'Oh, no!' "'I'm awfully glad she isn't dead,' said Tootles. "'Are you glad, John?' "'Of course I am. "'Are you glad, Nibs?' "'Rather.' "'Are you glad, twins?' "'We are glad.' "'Oh, dear,' sighed Wendy. "'Little less noise there,' Peter called out, "'determined that she should have fair play,' "'however beastly a story it might be, in his opinion. "'The gentleman's name,' Wendy continued, "'was Mr. Darling, and her name was Mrs. Darling. "'I knew them,' John said, to annoy the others. "'I think I knew them,' said Michael, rather doubtfully. "'They were married, you know,' explained Wendy, "'and what do you think they had?' "'White rats!' cried Nibs, inspired. "'No!' It's awfully puzzling, said Tootles, who knew the story by heart. Quiet, Tootles. They had three descendants. What is descendants? Well, you are one twin. Did you hear that, John? I am a descendant. Descendants are only children, said John. Oh, dear, oh, dear, sighed Wendy. Now, these three children had a faithful nurse called Nana, but Mr. Darling was angry with her and chained her up in the yard, and so all the children flew away. "'It's an awfully good story,' said Nibs. "'They flew away,' Wendy continued, "'to the Neverland where the lost children are.' "'I just thought they did,' Curly broke in excitedly. "'I don't know how it is, but I just thought they did.' "'Oh, Wendy,' cried Toodles, "'was one of the lost children called Tootles?' "'Yes, he was. "'I am in a story. "'Hurrah! "'I am in a story, Nibs! "'Hush! "'Now I want you to consider "'the feelings of the unhappy parents "'with all their children flown away.' Ooh! they all moaned, "'though they were not really considering "'the feelings of the unhappy parents, "'one jot. "'Think of the empty beds. Ooh! "'It's awfully sad,' "'the first twin said cheerfully.' "'I don't see how it can have a happy ending,' said the second twin. "'Do you, Nibs?' "'I'm frightfully anxious.' "'If you knew how great is a mother's love,' Wendy told them triumphantly, "'you would have no fear.' She had now come to the part that Peter hated. "'I do like a mother's love,' said Tootles, hitting Nibs with a pillow. "'Do you like mother's love, Nibs?' "'I do just,' said Nibs, hitting back. "'You see,' "'Wendy said complacently. "'Our heroine knew that the mother would always leave the window open "'for her children to fly back by. "'So they stayed away for years and had a lovely time. "'Did they ever go back?' "'Let us now,' said Wendy, bracing herself up for her finest effort, "'take a peep into the future.' "'And they all gave themselves the twist that makes peeps into the future easier. "'Years have rolled by.' And who is this elegant lady, of uncertain age, alighting at London Station? "'Oh, Wendy, who is she?' cried Nibs, every bit as excited as if he didn't know. "'Can it be—yes, no, it is—the fair Wendy!' "'Oh!' "'And who are the two noble, portly figures accompanying her, now grown to man's estate? Can they be John and Michael? "'They are—oh!' "'Dear brothers,' says Wendy, pointing upwards, "'there is the window, still standing open. "'Ah, now we are rewarded for our sublime faith in a mother's love. "'So up they flew to their mummy and daddy, "'and Pen cannot describe the happy scene over which we draw a veil. "'That was the story, and they were as pleased with it as the fair narrator herself. "'Everything just as it should be, you see. "'Off we skip like the most heartless things in the world.' which is what children are, but so attractive, and we have an entirely selfish time, and then, when we have need of special attention, we nobly return for it, confident that we shall be rewarded instead of smacked. So great indeed was their faith in a mother's love that they felt they could afford to be callous for a bit longer. But there was one there who knew better, and when Wendy finished he uttered a hollow groan. "'What is it, Peter?' she cried, running to him, thinking he was ill. She felt him, solicitously, lower down than his chest. "'Where is it, Peter?' "'It isn't that kind of pain,' Peter replied, darkly. "'Well, then what kind is it?' "'Wendy, you're wrong about mothers.' They all gathered round him in a fright. So alarming was his agitation. And with a fine candor he told them what he had hitherto concealed." "'Long ago,' he said. "'I thought like you that my mother would always keep the window open for me. "'So I stayed away from moons and moons and moons, and then flew back. "'But the window was barred, for mother had forgotten all about me, "'and there was another little boy sleeping in my bed. "'I'm not sure that this was true, but Peter thought it was true, and it scared them. "'Are you sure mothers are like that?' "'Yes,' So this was the truth about mothers, the toads. Still, it's best to be careful, and no one knows so quickly as a child when he should give in. Wendy, let's go home, cried John and Michael together. Yes, she said, clutching them. Not tonight, asked the lost boys, bewildered. They knew in what they called their hearts that one could get on quite well without a mother, and that it's only the mothers who think you can't once, Wendy replied resolutely, for the horrible thought had come to her. Perhaps mother is in half-mourning by this time. This dread made her forgetful of what must be Peter's feelings, and she said to him rather sharply, Peter, will you make the necessary arrangements? If you wish it, he replied, as coolly as if she had asked him to pass the nuts. Not so much as a sorry to lose you between them. If she didn't mind the parting, he was going to show her, was Peter, that neither did he. But, of course, he cared very much, and he was so full of wrath against grown-ups, who, as usual, were spoiling everything, that as soon as he got inside his tree, he breathed intentionally quick, short breaths, at the rate of about five to a second. He did this because there's a saying in the Neverland that every time you breathe, a grown-up dies, and Peter was killing them off, vindictively as fast as possible. Then, having given the necessary instructions to the Redskins, he returned to the home where an unworthy scene had been enacted in his absence. Panic-stricken at the thought of losing Wendy, the Lost Boys had advanced upon her threateningly. "'It'll be worse than before she came,' they cried. "'We shan't let her go. Let's keep her prisoner. Ay, chain her up!' In her extremity, an instinct told her "'to which of them to turn. Toodles, she cried, "'I appeal to you.' "'Was it not strange?' "'She appealed to Tootles, "'quite the silliest one.' "'Grandly, however, did Tootles respond. "'For that one moment he dropped his silliness "'and spoke with dignity. "'I am just Tootles,' he said, "'and nobody minds me. "'But the first who does not behave to Wendy "'like an English gentleman, "'I will blood him severely.' he drew back his hanger and for that instant his son was at noon the others held back uneasily then peter returned and they saw at once that they would get no support from him he would keep no girl in the neverland against her will wendy he said striding up and down i've asked the redskins to guide you through the wood as flying tires you so thank you peter then he continued "'in the short, sharp voice of one accustomed to being obeyed, "'Tinkerbell will take you across the sea. "'Wake her, Nibs.' "'Nibs had to knock twice before he got an answer, "'though Tink had really been sitting up in bed "'listening for some time. "'Who are you? How dare you? Go away!' she cried. "'You are to get up, Tink,' Nibs called, "'and take Wendy on a journey.' "'Of course, Tink had been delighted to hear "'that Wendy was going.' "'but she was jolly well determined not to be her courier, "'and she said so in still more offensive language. "'Then she pretended to be asleep again. "'She says she won't,' Nibs exclaimed, "'aghast at such insubordination, "'whereupon Peter went sternly toward the young lady's chamber. "'Tink,' he rapped out, "'if you don't get up and dress at once, "'I will open the curtains, "'and then we shall all see you in your negligee.' "'This made her leap to the floor.' "'Who said I wasn't getting up?' she cried. "'In the meantime, the boys were gazing very forlornly at Wendy, "'now equipped with John and Michael, for the journey. "'By this time they were dejected, "'not merely because they were about to lose her, "'but also because they felt that she was going off to something nice "'to which they had not been invited. "'Novelty was beckoning to them, as usual. "'Crediting them with a nobler feeling, Wendy melted.' "'Dear ones,' she said, "'if you will all come with me, "'I feel almost sure I can get my father and mother to adopt you.' "'The invitation was meant specially for Peter, "'but each of the boys was thinking exclusively of himself, "'and at once they jumped with joy. "'But won't they think us rather a handful?' "'Nibs asked in the middle of his jump. "'Oh, no,' said Wendy, rapidly thinking it out. "'It will only mean having a few beds in the drawing-room. "'They can be hidden.' behind the screens, on first Thursdays. "'Peter, can we go?' they all cried, imploringly. They took it for granted that if they went, he would go also, but really they scarcely cared. Thus children are ever ready, when novelty knocks, to desert their dearest ones. "'All right,' Peter replied, with a bitter smile, and immediately they rushed to get their things. "'And now, Peter,' "'Wendy said, thinking she'd put everything right. "'I'm going to give you your medicine before you go.' "'She loved to give them medicine, "'and undoubtedly gave them too much. "'Of course, it was only water, "'but it was out of a bottle, "'and she always shook the bottle and counted the drops, "'which gave it a certain medicinal quality. "'On this occasion, however, "'she did not give Peter his draft, "'for just as she had prepared it, "'she saw a look on his face that made her heart sink. "'Get your things, Peter,' she cried. "'Shaking?' "'No,' he answered, pretending indifference. "'I'm not going with you, Wendy.' "'Yes, Peter.' "'No.' To show that her departure would leave him unmoved, he skipped up and down the room, playing gaily on his heartless pipes. She had to run about after him, though it was rather undignified. "'To find your mother?' she coaxed. Now, if Peter had ever quite had a mother, he no longer missed her." He could do very well without one. He had thought them out and remembered only their bad points. No, no, he told Wendy decisively. Perhaps she would say I was old and I just want always to be a little boy and to have fun. But Peter, no. And so the others had to be told. Peter isn't coming. Peter not coming. They gazed blankly at him, their sticks over their backs and on each stick a bundle. "'Their first thought was that if Peter was not going, "'he'd probably changed his mind about letting them go. "'But he was far too proud for that. "'If you find your mothers,' he said darkly, "'I hope you will like them.' "'The awful cynicism of this made an uncomfortable impression, "'and most of them began to look rather doubtful. "'After all,' their faces said, "'were they not noodles to want to go?' "'Now then,' cried Peter, "'no fuss!' "'No blubbering. Good-bye, Wendy.' "'And he held out his hand cheerily, "'quite as if they must really go now, "'for he had something important to do. "'She had to take his hand, "'and there was no indication that he would prefer a thimble. "'You will remember about changing your flannels, Peter?' "'She said, lingering over him. "'She was always so particular about their flannels. "'Yes.' "'And you'll take your medicine?' "'Yes.' "'That seemed to be everything.' "'and an awkward pause followed. "'Peter, however, was not the kind "'that breaks down before other people. "'Are you ready, Tinkerbell?' he called out. "'Aye, aye. "'Then lead the way.' "'Tink darted up the nearest tree, "'but no one followed her, "'for it was at this moment "'that the pirates made their dreadful attack "'upon the redskins. "'Above, where all had been so still, "'the air was rent with shrieks "'and the clash of steel. "'Below.' there was dead silence. Mouths opened and remained open. Wendy fell on her knees, but her arms were extended toward Peter. All arms were extended to him, as if suddenly blown in his direction. They were beseeching him mutely not to desert them. As for Peter, he seized his sword, the same he thought he'd slain barbecue with, and the lust of battle was in his eye. Chapter 12 The children are carried off. The pirate attack had been a complete surprise, a sure proof that the unscrupulous Hook had conducted it improperly, for to surprise redskins fairly is beyond the wit of the white man. By all the unwritten laws of savage warfare, it is always the redskin who attacks, and with the wiliness of his race he does it just before the dawn, at which time he knows the courage of the whites to be at his lowest ebb. The white men have, in the meantime, made a rude stockade on the summit of yonder undulating ground, at the foot of which a stream runs, for it is destruction to be too far from water. There they await the onslaught, the inexperienced ones clutching their revolvers and treading on twigs, but the old hands sleeping tranquilly until just before dawn. Through the long black night the savage scouts wriggle, snake-like, among the grass without stirring a blade. The brushwood closes behind them, as silently as sand into which a mole has dived. Not a sound is to be heard, save when they give vent to a wonderful imitation of the lonely call of the coyote. The cry is answered by other braves, and some of them do it even better than the coyotes, who are not very good at it. So the chill hours wear on, and the long suspense is horribly trying to the pale face, who has to live through it for the first time. But to the trained hand, those ghastly calls and still ghastlier silences are but an intimation of how the night is marching. That this was the usual procedure was so well known to Hook that in disregarding it he cannot be excused on the plea of ignorance. The Picaninnies, on their part, trusted implicitly to his honour, and their whole action of the night stands out in marked contrast to his. They left nothing undone that was consistent with the reputation of their tribe. With that alertness of the senses, which is at once the marvel and despair of civilized peoples, they knew that the pirates were on the island from the moment one of them trod on a dry stick. And in an incredibly short space of time, the coyote cries began. Every foot of ground between the spot where Hook had landed his forces and the home under the trees was stealthily examined by braves wearing their moccasins with the heels in front. They found only one hillock with a stream at its base, so that Hook had no choice. Here he must establish himself and wait for just before the dawn. Everything being thus mapped out, with almost diabolical cunning— the main body of the redskins folded their blankets around them, and in the phlegmatic matter that is to them the pearl of manhood, squatted above the children's home, awaiting the cold moment when they should deal pale death. Here, dreaming, though wide awake, of the exquisite tortures to which they were to put him at break of day, those confiding savages were found by the treacherous hook. From the accounts afterwards, supplied by such of the scouts as escaped the carnage, he does not seem even to have paused at the rising ground, though it is certain that in the grey light he must have seen it. No thought of waiting to be attacked appears from first to last to have visited his subtle mind. He would not even hold off till the night was nearly spent. On he pounded, with no policy but to fall to. What could the bewildered scouts do? "'mastered as they were of every warlike artifice save this one, "'but trot helplessly after him, "'exposing themselves fatally to view, "'while they gave pathetic utterance to the coyote cry. "'Around the brave tiger-lily "'were a dozen of her stoutest warriors, "'and they suddenly saw the perfidious pirates "'bearing down upon them. "'Fell from their eyes then the film "'through which they had looked at victory. "'No more would they torture at the stake.' For them, the happy hunting grounds was now. They knew it, but as their father's sons they acquitted themselves. Even then they had time to gather in a phalanx that would have been hard to break had they risen quickly, but this they were forbidden to do by the traditions of their race. It is written that the noble savage must never express surprise in the presence of the white. Thus, terrible as the sudden appearance of the pirates must have been to them, they remained stationary for a moment, not a muscle moving as if the foe had come by invitation. Then, indeed, the tradition gallantly upheld, they seized their weapons, and the air was torn with the war cry, but it was now too late. It is no part of ours to describe what was a massacre rather than a fight. Thus perished many of the flower of the Piccaninny tribe. Not all unavenged did they die, for with lean wolf fell Alf Mason, to disturb the Spanish main no more and among others who bit the dust were Geoffrey Scowry, Charles Turley, and the Alsatian Fogarty. Turley fell to the tomahawk of the terrible panther, who ultimately cut away through the pirates with Tiger Lily and a small remnant of the tribe. To what extent Hook is to blame for his tactics on this occasion is for the historian to decide. Had he waited on the rising ground till the proper hour, he and his men would probably have been butchered and in judging him it is only fair to take this into account. What he should perhaps have done was to acquaint his opponents that he proposed to follow a new method. On the other hand, this, as destroying the element of surprise, would have made his strategy of no avail, so that the whole question is beset with difficulties. One cannot at least withhold a reluctant admiration for the wit that had conceived so bold a scheme and the fell genius with which it was carried out. What were his own feelings about himself at that triumphant moment? Fain would his dogs have known, as, breathing heavily and wiping their cutlasses, they gathered at a discreet distance from his hook and squinted through their ferret eyes at this extraordinary man. Elation must have been in his heart, but his face did not reflect it. Ever a dark and solitary enigma, he stood aloof from his followers, in spirit as in substance. The night's work was not yet over, For it was not the redskins he'd come out to destroy. They were but the bees to be smoked so that he should get in at the honey. It was Pan he wanted. Pan and Wendy and their band. But chiefly Pan. Peter was such a small boy that one tends to wonder at the man's hatred of him. True, he had flung Hook's arm to the crocodile, but even this and the increased insecurity of life to which it led, owing to the crocodile's pertinacity. "'hardly account for a vindictiveness so relentless and malignant. "'The truth is that there was a something about Peter "'which goaded the pirate captain to frenzy. "'It was not his courage. "'It was not his engaging appearance. "'It was not, there's no beating about the bush, "'for we know quite well what it was and have got to tell. "'It was Peter's cockiness. "'This had got on Hook's nerves. "'It made his iron claw twitch.' and at night it disturbed him like an insect. While Peter lived, the tortured man felt that he was a lion in a cage into which a sparrow had come. The question now was how to get down the trees, or how to get his dogs down. He ran his greedy eyes over them, searching for the thinnest ones. They wriggled uncomfortably, for they knew he would not scruple to ram them down with poles. In the meantime... "'What of the boys?' "'We have seen them at the first clang of the weapons, "'turned as it were into stone figures, open-mouthed, "'all appealing with outstretched arms to Peter, "'and we return to them as their mouths close "'and their arms fall to their sides. "'The pandemonium above has ceased "'almost as suddenly as it arose, "'passed like a fierce gust of wind, "'but they know that in the passing "'it has determined their fate. "'Which side has won?' The pirates, listening avidly at the mouths of the trees, heard the question put by every boy, and alas, they also heard Peter's answer. "'If the Redskins have won,' he said, "'they'll beat the Tom-Tom. It's always their sign of victory.' Now, Smee had found the Tom-Tom, and was, at that moment, sitting on it. "'You'll never hear the Tom-Tom again,' he muttered, but inaudibly, of course, for strict silence had been enjoined." To his amazement, Hook signed him to beat the Tom-Tom, and slowly there came to Smee an understanding of the dreadful wickedness of the order. Never, probably, had this simple man admired Hook so much. Twice, Smee beat upon the instrument and then stopped to listen gleefully. "'The Tom-Tom!' the miscreants heard Peter cry. "'An Indian victory!' The doomed children answered with a cheer that was music to the black hearts above, and almost immediately they repeated their goodbyes to Peter. This puzzled the pirates, but all their other feelings were swallowed by a base delight that the enemy were about to come up the trees. They smirked at each other and rubbed their hands. Rapidly and silently Hook gave his orders, one man to each tree, and the others to arrange themselves in a line two yards apart. Radio Read-Along is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network, featuring weekly episodes from the world's best stories. Want to listen ahead? Find this entire novel inside the Pelican Society at www.pelicansociety.com. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone.